Thank you for being with us today. Be sure to listen to all our messages on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And follow us on ne-cc.org for all information and updates. Thank you. God bless. Have a great day. Would you welcome our guest, my friend, Pastor Nick Furtado. Wow. Oh, you're not going to stop. I'm, <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> I was going to say, can you just keep it on? But I only speak a couple hours, I promise. <laughs> Such a delight to be with you. I, um, as we were worshiping, similar to what Pastor Paul said, why do we do missions? So others can worship. That's it. So that others can worship. I, uh, I'm so privileged uh, to be here with you today. I, I think that, um, I think that the, the idea that God is a, a missional God, he sent his son from one place to the next for his greatest purpose. From Genesis to Revelation, God is a missional God. He's cheering for us today. As I was preparing this message and thinking about this, I uh, thought, man, there's just moments when I get, I get to line up with what's at the very core of the heart of God. And so we do that together. I'm so honored to be with my friend Paul and also be a ministry partner. And I am committed to every situation I'm in that those two things are in the same sentence a friend and a ministry partner. I think Jesus did ministry with his friends. He loved them. They shared meals together. Probably if the football was created, they would have played football together. I don't know. But I'm also a part of a community of leaders that you are a part of in southern New England, about 550 leaders and a family of churches, 190 churches, Put all of them together, and on a Sunday, there's about 75,000 people that meet in Assembly of God Church in Master Island, Connecticut. And together, we want to follow the mission of God. I was elected just over four years ago, and I've had one single topic. What is the mission of God for Southern New England? And that's what I've talked about, and that's what I've wrestled with, and how we've Unpack that is to say, no, we're not, we're not inviting God into our mission. Like today, we're not saying, God, we're, look at those missionaries on the back row. God, can you help us extend our mission? <laughs> no, we're saying, God, what is your mission? Because that's what we want to line up in. And to do that, we think about a few different things. We anchor, and I assure you, I'm not the first one during this mission emphasis, nor the last one who will point your attention to Matthew chapter 28. I'm sure that we have a simple statement. When Jesus gave his final words, he said, go 
and make disciples of all nations. So what is in that phrase? Well, we are clearly called. You don't even need to pray about it. If you're a Christ follower, you are called to a single purpose, to make disciples. Doesn't say we're called to plant churches. Doesn't say we're called to build buildings. Doesn't say we're called to anything but to make disciples. And a true disciple has the ability to make a disciple. Disciples who make disciples is the core competency of a Christ follower. And then when we do that, we get a few of them together, and it's a church. And we want to plant more churches. So, what do we do in southern New England? Well, we want to make disciples who make disciples. And we want to plant churches that plant churches. But we can't even stop in New England. I said, what's the mission of God in southern New England? The mission of God in southern New England to make disciples in all nations. And then lastly, this year our focus is in the power of the Spirit. That's what we're called to do here. I love this theme. Near and far. William Carey, the father of modern missions, he tried to convince his fellow Baptists that the Great Commission required them to go out into all the world and make disciples. And he was met with fierce resistance. At one meeting, an old, respected, chiseled pastor stood up and confronted him in public. He was in his early 20s. Young man, he said, sit down. <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen <laughs> here. Well, if you called me young, I would appreciate that, as long as you don't ask me to sit down. Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it with or without us. Thankfully, William Carey would have nothing to do with that man's bad theology. And he ended up going to India as a missionary. And as a result, inspired hundreds, if not thousands, of British Christians to scatter about the world. And as a result, millions upon millions found their way to heaven. I'm going to come back to William Carey in a little while. Well, let me stop, let me circle back one more time. Disciples who make disciples. All of us can do this as we've made a decision to follow Jesus. Jesus' final word, make disciples. And then when we get some, we plant churches. And we need to plant a lot of churches in southern New England and around the world. 
But we need to create churches. We are learning that we need a variety of types of churches. And I am so grateful for churches like Northeast Christian Church that have sending power, that have strength, that have resources, that have multiple staff. And we need many, many, many more churches just like this. But I've also learned that no matter how great we do church and expect if we do it, people will come, about 50 or 60% of the population won't come no matter how good we do it. And so we need to go. And so we are in southern New England, we're looking, we're planting so many different expressions of the church, dinner churches, churches in jail. We have one church that just welcomes sex offenders. You know why? Because they aren't welcome hardly anywhere else. We, we have churches on the college campus. We have churches in people's homes. We, we want to plant the church in every way possible. On the street, in the neighborhoods. And as Pastor Paul mentioned, as a network, we're looking to partner with an Assemblies of God planting movement called Live Dead that plants the church where it doesn't exist, which is about almost half the planet. And here's my reason that I think Southern New England is built to partner there, because New England is probably the toughest place in the United States to do Christianity. So that means you all have developed the muscles to plant the church in a tough place. So would it not make sense that our partner would be those that are planting the church where there is no church? I'm not talking about Assembly of God Church. I'm talking about no church. I think it makes sense. And I think if we do that, there'll be a relationship that will grow and develop that will plant the kind of churches that are sending people around the world. And then I stood on this pulpit by invitation of Pastor Dick about 25, 28 years ago. Because I came to this area because I wanted to reach college students. And at that time... Pastor Dick invited me to this pulpit. And I was able to say, if we change the university, we can change the world. We are positioned in a unique piece of ground called Southern New England. There are more college students per square foot than any other part of the world. And if we reach students that have come from around the world, they'll return home. If we reach students in our area, they will come into our churches and be disciple makers with us. If we reach students, we'll plant churches with them. If we reach students, we'll send missionaries upon graduation to the other parts of the world where you cannot get in when you knock on the door and say, I'm a missionary, they'll say, well, you're not welcome, but if you knock on the door and say, I'm an educator, I'm a chemist, I'm, I am a mathematician, and I want to come and help your country, you will be welcomed in and ultimately plant the church of Jesus Christ. So in our network, 
We want to plant churches. We want to make disciples. We want to reach the world. And the last phrase of that, Matthew 28, says all nations. Everything that we do here must be done there, around the world. And lastly, we are a Pentecostal movement. What that means is there was this burst of a work of the Spirit in the earliest days of the church. And it had a single purpose. It was so that when we worship, we could worship more intensely than anybody else because we speak in tongues and we have the gifts of the Spirit. Nope, that's not what it was for. Or that this outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 would be to show that we and the assemblies of God are the spiritual elite. No, that's not what it was for. Or that possibly we could be in a, a wider circle of spirit-filled people and we would be in the club. No, the outpouring of the Spirit had a single purpose. And it's this. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere to the ends of the earth. It's why we're Pentecostal. It's the mark of Pentecostalism. In fact, when the Assemblies of God was formed, there were a group of people together, and they said, if we work together, we can be a part of the greatest evangelistic effort that the world has ever known. Why are we spirit-filled? To go and tell. And so, in these few moments left, I want to bring to you a view of the scriptures that has sharpened my life for nearly 40 years. And it's a set of stories that I will touch on. I won't read them all in detail to you. Some of you might be familiar with them. Some of you, they'll be completely strange stories. But I want you to think about these stories as you think about here, near, and far. I want you to think about these stories when you think about whether you're going to join Pastor Dick at the shelter. I want you to think about these stories when, and I, I went to the back wall and looked at those pictures. So many of them are my friends. So many of them I've prayed for, I've wept with, I serve them as they scatter about the world. But as you think about these stories, I want you to answer the question so what? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? The first story is found in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. And it's the story where Joshua is now the leader. Moses is gone. He is now extending the work of the people of God, taking the land. And he wants to send out a few, few spies to check out the land. And so he sends them out, particularly in Jericho. And they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed with her. And then the king finds out that these, these spies, these enemy spies are in our midst, and he wants to 
find them and execute them. But Rahab, chapter 2, verse 4, had taken the two men and hidden them. And she, yeah, she said, the men, the men were here, but not anymore. I don't know where they came from, she said. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city, the men left. Now, the story goes on that these men realize they got to get out of town. And before the spies laid down that night, verse 8, she went up to the roof and had a conversation with them. And she said this, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. We know God gives you victory. Our hearts melted. For the Lord your God is God. And so she had to do something about it. And the story goes on through chapter 2, where she makes a deal with them. If you remember me, you'll spare me. If you don't tell what we're doing, said the spies, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. Verse 15 of Joshua chapter 2 then says this, So she let them down by a rope, through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now I want to freeze frame that moment. And at the end of the rope, probably one at a time, is a spy. And the other end of the rope is a prostitute. On that end of the rope is two people that death is assured if she doesn't do something. The mission is apparently going to be aborted if she doesn't do something. Those spies are 100% dependent on this woman. The mission they are on are dependent on this woman. In fact, I would like to freeze it. Think about when they're halfway down the wall, they are so vulnerable. Maybe she was not telling the truth. And at the bottom, when they get to the end of the wall, are the soldiers to take them away and execute them. They are vulnerable. The mission is in question. They trust a stranger. But who's holding the rope? The key element to the mission. She knew God. And she knew that these spies knew God. And she would do everything she could that the mission would go forward. And in her hands rested the future of Israel. In that moment, seemingly insignificant thing, she just held on to a piece of rope. What that story tells me is grabbing a piece of rope can make the potential possible. Most of the men and women that are on pictures in the back of your church stood up here with a big idea. 
but it was just a big idea. As you'll hear from the stress, I want to go to Mozambique and live in a place where my life is threatened every day because the gospel compels me. But the Sheref would not go to Mozambique if Northeast Christian Church and others didn't grab the rope and say, we'll help you get there. Grabbing a rope makes the potential possible. Secondly, in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 19, Saul has determined he's going to kill David. And he makes six attempts on David's life because he does not want him to be the king. He does not want the future of the people of God to be in his hands. And so he set out to kill him. And there's a number of stories and ways of escape, but in this chapter... The men go to David's house to watch it and to kill him. Chapter 19, verse 11, in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow morning you will be killed. Verse 12. So Michael let David down through a window, and he fled, and he escaped. Think about that moment. Freeze it for a second. Dangling on the edge of a rope is the future king. But at that point, he's vulnerable. Will he escape? Will he lose his life? Will everything that was said about him and the anointing, would that take place? It all rests in the hands of somebody who loved him. I love this story because it's very personal. She held on maybe because she wanted to be king, or she loved her husband, and she wanted to spare his life. But without that action of a seemingly unpowerful, uninfluential person holding on to a piece of rope while dangling at their end was the future leader where the very line of the Messiah would come is David. And I think about that. Seemingly insignificant, but loved near and dear in the grip of her hand. And this was personal. She didn't think, oh, I got to save the king. She says, I need to save my husband so he can do what God created him to do. It's not too hard when that's the case. <laughs> I think my iPad just died. <laughs> but because this is not my first rodeo, in my bag is a notebook with my notes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's a big, yeah, I'll tell you this. Thank you. <laughs> so this, right here, he's holding a rope right there. Like this, this message would have ended right there. Sorry about that. Please excuse me. <laughs> I don't know what it was. We'll take it. So where were we? Just seeing if you're with me. Who was hanging down there? David. Okay, good. I was nervous there for a minute. It's personal, right? Those names are personal. 
March 7, 2003, this letter is read to a local church. It starts with, Dear Pastor Phil, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible and my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory was my reward, and his glory is my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work, she says. I'm writing this as if I am still working among the people group. I thank you so much for your prayers. I thank you so much for your support. Your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and my spiritual well-being since I was a small child. And then she says, or she writes, keep sending missionaries out. Keep raising up fine young ministers. And in regard to my service, meaning her funeral, keep it small and simple. <laughs> yeah, simple. Just preach the gospel and if Jason Buss is available and his dad, let them sing a pretty song. <laughs> I love that. Be bold and preach the life-giving, life-changing, for every eternal gospel, give glory and honor to our Father. And remember, care more than you think is wise. Risk more than you think is safe. Dream more than you think is practical. And expect more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort but to obedience. I love you, my home church, in your care and his care, Karen. Karen was a missionary who was martyred in Iraq. You know why that, that story is so stinging to me? In January of this year, I stood on a podium, and a young family came forward with their four small kids Name's Katie and Austin Young. And because I was at this event for a bunch of missionaries and I was the only district superintendent, she had completed all the responsibilities for ordination and they asked me to conduct an ordination service. And you know, when I laid my hands on Katie Young and prayed an ordination prayer, it felt different than the hundreds of other times that I had done it because Katie and Austin live in Basra, Iraq. And about two months before that ordination service, their partner missionaries, the father was drug out of his car and executed in front of his wife and children. And as I prayed for her, I thought she is going wherever God asked her to go with her four small children. Now, we aren't all called to go. But Katie Young, Austin Young, and their four children are at the end of a rope. And somebody's got to hold the other end. Somebody's got to give. Somebody's got to pray. And for some, some have to join them. 
She describes her town as the only Western people there. There is one Christian church there. Not Assembly of God church. Not Catholic church. Just one Christian church in her entire town of millions. Somebody's got to hold the rope. As a church, God plucks folks from here and sometimes sends them far. And sometimes that's really hard when it's personal. We know their names, and maybe they grew up here. Maybe, maybe Pastor Dick dedicated when they were a baby, and now Pastor Paul is, is leading them and sending them forth. And then you may be asked, how do we send our sons and daughters? Jim Elliott, one of the great missionaries who was martyred in 1956, he was writing a letter to tell his parents that he was called to be a missionary. And he knew that they would oppose that. It was too dangerous that he shouldn't do that. And so in his letter to his parents, he writes, the scriptures say, Mom and Dad, blessed are those whose quiver is full. But remember, arrows are to be taken out of the quiver and shot at the enemy. So I am going to South America. Sometimes holding the rope is really personal. It's our sons and daughters. For Micah, Michael, it was her husband. Third, and I'm only doing four, because you're thinking, wow, we're going to be here for a lot of rope stories. First, it makes a potential possible. Second, it makes the person personal a, 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 to accomplish. Third, is there's got to be a messenger. I love the story in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was, you know, a prophet that, that we call him the weeping prophet because nobody ever listened to him. You know, I mean, you have a great pastor. But imagine it at the end of every service after he preached the most passionate exegetical, biblically sound message, you all sit up and say, yeah, see ya. <laughs> That's what Jeremiah, that was like for Jeremiah the prophet. In fact, he made people so mad that one day they decided to, to eliminate him, take him, and, and put him in the bottom of a well, and there's water in the well, so he gets in the bottom of the well, and he sink, it says that he sinks down in the mud, and then they just left him there to starve to death and to die the prophet, the one who speaks on behalf of God. And that would be the end of the story if there wasn't this one unknown, obscure person who was sitting in the crowd and he heard somebody say, hey, we finally got rid of Jeremiah. He is in the well out there on the edge of town and he is gone. We don't have to listen to his annoying sermons anymore. He'll die. And one person Ebad Malik says, no, this can't be. And he rounds up some friends, and he grabs a rope. And the story says this. Ebad Malik the Cushite said to Jeremiah, put these old rags, toss us some rags down in the well. He said, put these rags so you don't get rope burned. That's a thoughtful guy. And then grab a hold of this rope. 
And then it says that he pulled the rope up and lifted him out of the cistern, and Jeremiah immediately turned to the courtyard of the king and began to prophesy again. I love that. But you know who the hero is here? A no, no, somebody nobody knows about, Ebad Malik. Nobody has an Ebad Malik t-shirt, right? I'm with Ebad. He's the man. But because he said, someone must speak on behalf of God. Someone must stand in adversity and speak on behalf of God. Whatever goes, whatever happens, someone must do it. And so he says, grab a hold of this rope. And he pulls him up. There's another familiar story in the New Testament. Paul started making people mad. And it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 23, after many days, the Jews said, we're going to just have to kill him. It seems like their go-to when they don't agree with somebody. Saul learned of the plan, Paul, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates. And as soon as they saw him, they were ready to kill him. But his followers, we don't even know who they were. We don't know their names. Verse 25 said, they took him by night and they lowered him in a basket. And he escaped. Freeze frame the picture. Dangling on the edge of that wall the father of all missions, is the church planner to the Gentile world, is the writer of most of the New Testament. We don't even know who's holding the rope. But somebody had to. Somebody had to. He's vulnerable. He's unsure. But in both Jeremiah's cases and Paul's cases, the messenger must be sent. And finally, in the book of Luke, chapter 5, there's a wonderful story. Many of you, as I start telling this story, you're going to already know, because some of you are already thinking, how many stories about ropes could there possibly be in the Bible? But you know this one. So there's some, there's some folks, they heard Jesus is speaking. And, you know, the, the word was out that when he talks, things happen. People get healed. Uh, you know, people you know, raised from the dead. Uh, the religious people get angry, and they like that. So these, I think these guys are walking along and say, hey, why don't we go up and, uh, and, and hear, hear what Jesus has to say? And they're walking along, and they're kind of telling what they think about him. Man, he fed a whole bunch of people and with just a little boy's lunch, and, man, he spit in the ground once, and a blind person could see. And as they're walking along, there's this, uh, crippled person sitting on a mat begging for money. And I think probably three of those four guys walked by, but one of them, he just paused and he had that look on his face. Some of you know this look, like, wait a minute. Jesus heals. He can't walk. He says, hey guys, hey guys, let's carry him to Jesus. Ah, now they're excited. Now they got a vision. Now they're going to do something. So they go, and they're on the way, they're talking, man, this is going to be awesome. And, the, you know, the, cripp the, the, the crippled guy is just holding on for dear life. He's like, you guys are out of your minds. Put me down, put me down. 
And then they get there, and the room is so full, they can't get in the front door. And they said, well, this must not have been God's will, because God would have made a way, and they just dropped him and walked away. No, that's not what they did. <laughs> no, I assure you, if you're about the work of God, it will be inconvenient. Always. So they said, well, let's just go to the side door. Okay, let's go to the side door. They go to the side door. They can't even get in the room because it's so full of people. They can't get their new friend to Jesus. And so they're going, I guess we'll... And, the, you know, the, the lame guy, he says, hey, just leave me by the front door. There's lots of money to be had here. I'll be, they'll empty out, and their heart will be tender. Just, this is all good. Set me down. I'm okay. And then there's one of the four. He said, I got an idea. Let's take them to the roof. So they climb up the roof, and Jesus is speaking. All of a sudden, dirt starts falling on his head, and he looks up, and there's a hole in the roof. And these four guys looking down, and then all of a sudden, an incredibly embarrassed lame person is lowered in front. They say, hey, it wasn't my idea, it wasn't my idea. I'm sorry to interrupt the meeting. And Jesus looks up and says, because of your faith, you're healed. And he stands up and he walks out. Think about that moment. Four ropes, probably. Lowering someone down just to get him to Jesus. So much of our work is just to get people to the feet of Jesus. Jesus heals, not you. Jesus saves, not you. Jesus sets free from demonic opinion, not you. All we have to do is get them to Jesus. That's it. It's not us. It's never been us. So I leave you with this. William Carey, remember him? He said this line. To me, it's one of the greatest lines for the mission that we're on. He said, I'll go down. But who's going to hold the rope? And really, that's what we're talking about. If you're a Christ follower in this room, you got two options. You're either on this end of the rope Oh, you're on that end of the rope. Two options. Pastor Paul talked about a faith promise that would put a dollar amount that you're asking God to give this year. Some of you, you don't need to put a dollar amount. And Paul's saying, no, stop. Yes, they do. <laughs> Some of you, you need to write your name. I'll go. I'll give my life. I'll say yes. Some of you, there's been a ministry here God has put on your heart. And you just need somebody to grab the other end of the rope and say, I'll help you. I'll vouch for you. I'll walk with you. I'll do it. I want you to think in these next couple weeks, 
Which end of the rope are you on? And I think it can come at different times. Sometimes you're on this end and sometimes you're on that end. But William Carey said, I'll go down. Joel Charest will be here in a couple weeks. He said, I'll, I'll go to Mozambique. I just need you to hold the rope. I'm taking my kids. So remember, holding the rope makes the potential possible. That's what Rahab showed us with the spies. Holding the rope enables those we love so dearly, sometimes family, sometimes friends, to accomplish God's mission on their life. It's personal. And sometimes there's dark places that have no access to the gospel. But someone will stand on this platform and say, I'll go. And hopefully the next thought in your mind as soon as they say, I'll go, is well, we'll hold the rope. We'll hold the rope. The rope looks like this. I'm either going to give or I'm going to go or I'm going to pray. It's the only three options. What I'm asking you is to think, what is it that God would have you do? We stand together with me. I love New England, southern New England in specific. We are a part of a great work. This church is a part of a family of churches. Your ministers are a part of a community of leaders. You take one hand, you put two hands together, you can do more. We dream a great dream for God. And I believe in this next season, we're going to plant more churches than we ever dreamed of. We're going to send more of our sons and daughters around the world that anybody would ever think it was safe to do. But that's what God asks. He doesn't ask, remember Kathy's words? He doesn't ask for comfort. He asks for obedience. He doesn't ask for convenience. He asks for obedience. And if we will be reckless in our giving, reckless in our praying, and reckless in our going, then just like that man who was lowered by four very reckless young men, lives will be transformed. And that is why we focus on mission. Father, I pray for Northeast Christian Church this focus that is so God-honoring, so into the depth of your heart. Father, as so many things begin to happen, so many decisions begin to be made, may we all ask the question, am I going down or am I holding the rope? And Father, I ask as we close in this moment, 
and Pastor Paul come, I just ask that we'll consider maybe, maybe I'm not holding the rope anymore. I need to get on the other end and let my brothers and sisters at Northeast Christian Church hold the rope because I'm going down. I'm going to be obedient. Father, that we would say yes. We'd say yes to holding the rope, to giving and to praying, and we'd say yes to going. Lord of the harvest, you did, somebody did this for us. We're going to do it for someone else. Here, near, and far. In Jesus' name. Pastor Nick, yeah. Thank you. You know, one of my favorite preachers is named uh, John Piper. And not to counteract what Pastor Nick said, but there are actually three options you have. There are obedient givers, obedient goers, and then there's disobedient. And it was, an, it was at an altar like this that I learned to obey God in this area. I was a new Christian, and a missionary came to our church in upstate New York, and I felt God told me in the middle of the pack, I want you to go up to him and give him your entire paycheck this week. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I don't make a lot of money. I work at a vet hospital. Like, I need this. But, but I came to that altar, and I worshiped. And I gave. And then it wasn't too long later, about a year later, I felt God tell me, Dylan, I'm not going to tell you where we're going, just like Abraham, but I want you to be willing to go. And so I came to an altar at a little Bible college experience right up the road at North Point and said, God, wherever you send me, I'll go. I've held the rope. I've gone down the shaft, and I can tell you that both take work, but you'll find greater joy on either end of that than you will by sitting it out. And as this worship song happens, worship is not with your lips. It's with your hands, it's with your feet, it's with your heart. Some of you need an altar experience. You need to say, I can't go but I'll give. And some of you need to say, I've given, but I want to go. And if you feel that call of God, as they begin to play, do what Paul says in Romans 12, and make yourself a living sacrifice on the altar. Because God, he doesn't qualify, or he doesn't call perfect people, he qualifies broken people like me and like you to be on either end of that rope. And so I hope that you choose wholehearted worship today.
you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we pray your prayer, not my will, but your will be done. And I pray that just like Jesus, you would help us to lay aside every hindrance, every weight, and run the race that you've set before us for the joy that's ahead. God, I pray that you would lift our eyes to the hills from where our help comes from to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who doesn't slumber and doesn't sleep, but is here with us. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be the people that you want us to be, the people that you're proud of. We commit our hearts to you, our lives to you, and pray that we would live a life worshipful to you. We ask these things, Lord, in the name of Christ, your Son. Amen. What a great day. Hey, Marcel and Vivian, before you go, many of you, I am so forgetful. Stay away from drugs. They'll ruin you. Um, Marcel and Vivian have been a part of this church for such a long period of time. And a great, great opportunity and dream is open for them. And many of you are already aware of this. But uh, they will be relocating to South Carolina. Marcel will be doing so in the next few weeks. And Vivian uh, by January. But we're going to sabotage it. And we'll have her here another year. Um, but I wonder if you'd come forward, and those of you that have known them, if you'd just come up front here, and those of you, the, the elders, and those of you that have known them for a long time, if we can gather around them, we, we're going to honor them, we're going to bless them, we're going to gift them, but uh, it, it, I can't let this just dissipate and disappear without just giving honor to whom honors do. Let me say this about Vivian and Marcel. There have been moments where skilled leaders in our church have given advice and we're all on the same page. And then Marcel would say one statement that was pastoral. And I'd be able to look at the whole board and say, I know that this sounds right, but that sounds like Jesus. He's grown up in ministry his whole life. And Vivian, how many of you ever been blessed by Vivian bringing you a meal, checking in on you, and just, she's a servaholic. And uh, our loss is going to be the Carolina's gain, but um, there's a void that's going to be there. And I just want us to pray a blessing. Thank you for letting us do extended overtime. This is, this is worth it. This is worth it. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful couple that has been central, not only to this church, but to its direction, its leadership, its decisions, its, its uh, breakthrough moments, Lord. Father, I pray that there would be a crown of blessing upon them. Lord, I'd ask that as they step into this new life, that it, things would blossom without effort, that blessing would flow with, without labor, that this would be one of their greatest transitions. Lord, every time things change, we begin to worry and we begin to work and we begin to, Lord, I pray this would be one of those things that, that it would just be as if, what they had hoped for happened before they even placed that request to you. God, I just thank you for them. Lord, I pray that lightning would strike them if they're local and they don't visit us. 
And also, we pray for Nettie as she stays local, that you would keep her eye on her and we would keep our eye on her. And we thank you all for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him a hug if you know him. Can we thank our speaker one more time for hands down the best message as of yet? Hands down. I'm stealing this rope. It's going to stay here. (laughs) God bless you. Go in the grace of God, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Feel free to give them hugs. Feel free to say hi. If you're a visitor, please stop by the Welcome Center. We want to just say hi and thanks and just bless you with something. Thank you for being with us today. Be sure to listen to all our messages on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And follow us on ne-cc.org for all information and updates. Thank you. God bless. Have a great day.